Hello, friend. Welcome to the Whole Word Podcast. This is Pastor Pitts Evans. On this podcast, we read and discuss one chapter of God's Word per episode. Let's go now to the Bible and see what the Lord has for us today. I'm going to begin our introduction to Ephesians today before we start our reading. The book of Ephesians, of course, was written by Paul the Apostle. It's generally believed that it was written during his incarceration under house arrest in Rome, somewhere around 60 to 62 A.D. After his third missionary journey, you may recall, he was arrested in Jerusalem and then held on trial there for a season in Israel, then ultimately appealed to Caesar and was taken to Rome under arrest to appear before Caesar. And so during the time of his incarceration in Rome, he wrote a number of letters, of which the letter to the Ephesians is regarded as one of the um, uh, writings of Paul from that season of time. Ephesus was a major city. In fact, outside of Rome itself, it was probably the most important Roman city in in the world. It was definitely the main city, uh, main Roman city of Asia. After Paul's death, the Apostle John later made Ephesus his headquarters until his own death. And so it was a very important central location in the early church. The purpose of the letter to the Ephesians is basic biblical understandings about Christ, but specifically to teach the church about unity in the body of Christ, both Jew and Gentile. There's a lot of emphasis on unity. There's a lot of emphasis on prayers, um, holiness. Paul prays a lot for the believers He includes some of his detailed standard prayers that he lifted up the church with over and over again. In fact, if you ever want to pray some prayers in agreement with the Apostle Paul, it's real easy to find a number of them in the book of Ephesians. Someone has noted that there are approximately 78 of the 155 verses in Ephesians repeated in Colossians. And so um, Colossians is another of these so-called prison epistles. Paul was conveying the same thoughts in the same period of time to two different church locations. But today we're going to begin our reading with Ephesians. And I want you to remember that the major themes are salvation, grace, God's power, the church. And of course, there's some details on the bride of Christ we'll get into in chapter 5. But mainly God's unity, his desire for unity within the church. And so this theme resonates throughout the book itself. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were chosen, 
having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul begins with a fairly typical apostolic introduction. He writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so note, in these first two sentences, he lists the name Christ Jesus three times. He lists the name God three times. He lists his own name, Paul, once, as is appropriate. But his emphasis is always very Christ-centric, very God-centric, not Paul-centric. I love that about Paul. He goes on to say that we're a chosen people. We've been chosen in Christ Jesus. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, this idea of sovereign election, that the Lord has chosen us of his own will, to be with him from the creation of the world and to be holy and blameless in his sight. I love that. Inasmuch as it's nothing to do with us, we sometimes say, I found Jesus or I found a relationship with Jesus. But the truth is, Jesus preordained that we would come to know him and come into a relationship with him. That does not negate the fact that we have free will to choose to follow him or not. But his desire was that we would be chosen to be with him forever. From before the creation of the world, that was his plan. And thank God, I and many of you that are listening are cooperating with that plan. We have agreed to be chosen people in Christ Jesus. And so we are adopted children of God, Paul says in verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And so we're not just merely tolerated, redeemed sinners. We're adopted as children of God. Jesus Christ, the firstborn, and then each of us in due season, born as sons and daughters of the living God, adopted, chosen, 
for all eternity to be with the Lord, to be with Jesus and to be with God, our Father, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus, we're adopted as children of God, and in Jesus, we have our redemption. In verse 7, Paul writes, In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. And so the blood, the precious blood, is mentioned in verse 7. Paul has a lot to say about the precious blood of Jesus, by which we're redeemed from sin and death. Paul goes on in verse 13 to say that we who were included in Christ, um, when we believed, we were marked with the seal. And this seal is the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. And so, what measure of the Holy Spirit and interaction we have with the Holy Spirit now, whatever it is that we have, it's only a deposit guaranteeing the fullness of what comes. The Passion Translation says we've been given the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring to declare that we are indeed promised to the one we love, but we haven't entered into the fullness of the union yet. Whichever way you want to term it, we who have been redeemed as the sons and daughters of the living God, in Jesus we have that redemption and we've been given the Holy Spirit as proof of our engagement to Christ. We're the bride of Christ and the awaiting bride. We're waiting for our bridegroom, Jesus. Either we'll go to him at our death or he'll come to us at his second coming. And so, friends, Paul continues, and in this chapter, he begins with one of his magnificent prayers. In verse 17, he speaks in prayer, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Now, friends, I want to pray this in agreement with Paul. And if you are a believer, I want you to pray this in agreement with Paul, too. If you can imagine this with me, Paul's prayers still sit before the throne of God. 2,000 years ago, he was praying for you and I for this day that we're experiencing right now. And so he's praying this prayer in real time before the throne of heaven. But today we're praying in agreement with the words of Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit as recorded in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and following. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you might know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything and in every way. Father, we agree with these prayers of Paul. We ask that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, would give us the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. Lord, in agreement with Paul, we pray that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened so that we would know the hope to which we have each been called. Lord, show us the call that you have on each of our lives and show us the glorious inheritance that you've prepared for your people and your incomparably great power that's in store for those of us who believe, both now and the age to come. Lord, 
Christ Jesus rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all power and authority and dominion. Lord, we're seated with him. God, you've placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Lord, help us to be in submission to Christ and obedience to you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Whole Word. It was brought to you by Whole Word Fellowship and the Northern Virginia House of Prayer. If you were encouraged, please share our podcast with your friends. We'd also appreciate it if you'd hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and take a few moments to write a review. If you'd like more information on our church and our ministry, you can go to wholeword.net or wholewordpodcast.com for more information. Thank you again, and may the Lord Jesus bless you today and always.